Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday night, first day of summer, Father's Day, happy Father's Day, whatever's left of it to, to all the dads out there. Mark and Mark, Daly and Hamilton here to recap what turned out to, to be completely opposite to what we predicted a couple of nights ago. Mark, welcome back. Uh, happy Father's Day, happy summer. And uh, well, uh, we kind of got it wrong, didn't we, in terms of what we, uh, what we were expecting for action on the track? It was, um, this should be one of these races that we're going to look back, hopefully at the end of the year and say, this was a, a really, this was a great race. I think we said the same thing two weeks ago a- after Azerbaijan, but uh, yeah, I'm, st- I'm still buzzing about this one. This was exciting to watch. And you kind of ruined my open a little bit because I plan to come <laughs> in here and state, just like we've been telling all of you for three weeks, the French Grand Prix was going to be fantastic. And as usual, <laughs> we were right, but... Honestly, I think we we downplayed this race weekend, and I think we did that maybe because we played up Monaco too much, and Monaco turned out to be such a disappointment. So being good business analysts, we we were a little bit conservative with our predictions on what this weekend would look like in terms of racecraft and excitement and drama. And boy, were we off the mark. And honestly, we probably should have known after qualifying. Uh, qualifying was fantastic. We put up a poll. Did you enjoy qualifying? And likewise, the race was fantastic. And unfortunately, because I didn't want want to watch the race at 5 a.m. I watched it uh, at about 10 a.m., but I got to sit outside in the beautiful sunset or in the sunshine, soak in the rays, watch it, uh, watch it on my phone. And it was an absolute blast. And like you, I'm still buzzing now. And geez, I watched it 10 hours ago. I know, right? Uh, well, first of all, Mark, before we go into what happened on the track, let's uh, very quickly just uh, run down and set up everything uh, in terms of the final race classification, the top 10, and then the drivers and the constructors uh, championship. So winning the race uh, uh, one and a half laps uh, before the end was Red Bull's uh, Max Verstappen, Lewis uh, Hamilton coming in second, 2.9 seconds uh, behind. Sergio Perez, another strong result for him, rounding out uh, the, uh, the podium in the second Red Bull. Valtteri Bottas, uh, full of uh, naughty words today, came home P4 for Mercedes. Lando uh, Norris and Danny Ricardo coming home 5th and 6th for McLaren. A very strong showing for them. Pierre Gasly, Fernando Alonso, and Sebastian Vettel, and Lance Stroll. I almost cut off uh, poor Lance uh, right at the end there, kind of rounding out uh, the top 10. Double points finish uh, for uh, Aston Martin, which I think they should be uh, very pleased and uh, you know happy about, especially Lance uh, after having a very unfortunate qualifying when he got, to, you know, he had his time deleted and then uh, just uh, ran into a whole bunch of uh, bad luck and then a red flag at the end which uh, really ruined his afternoon so some interesting uh, some interesting uh, finishes in the top 10 there now this is where it gets extremely interesting is going over to the drivers championship uh, the top five uh, in the drivers at the moment Max Verstappen 131 points Lewis Hamilton falling behind a little bit now 119 Sergio Perez into third uh, position with 84 points Lando Norris uh, fourth with 76 and Valtteri Bottas in fifth position in the Drivers' Championship with 59. And then equally uh, interesting when it comes to the uh, Constructors' uh, Championship, Red Bull extending their lead in the uh, Constructors' a little bit now. 215 for RBR, Mercedes 178, McLaren still in third place with 110. Ferrari, despite uh, not a great weekend in France, 94. And then Alpha Tauri now fifth in the Constructors' with 45. So Mark... Um, well, uh, where do we want to go from here? There is, uh, there were so many great storylines, but I think what uh, my, my takeaway from this one, uh, this uh, th- this afternoon, was that uh, Mercedes got um, they got 
outthought, outstrategized, and outraced on the track. I mean, that was a big risky move that Red Bull went with, uh, deciding to go for that uh, second tire stop. And boy, did they just pull that out by the skin of their teeth. And it it made for a very, very exciting finish. But even uh, before that, it was an interesting start, Max, on pole. Uh, you know, ahead of the two Mercedes and then uh, Sergio and P4, you know, he had a decent start. Uh, I think he was a, sort of even on pace with uh, with Lewis, but going into that first corner, he just couldn't keep his car. It just didn't uh, rotate through the corner. He couldn't, uh, he just didn't have enough uh, grip and he had to go into the runoff area and he dropped uh, a position. But it got really interesting because they went with the undercut and then just, uh, you know, his pit stop was only about two or three tenths of a second faster than Lewis Hamilton and that's all he needed. Needed to, to take the the position back, but then that second risky pit stop. Um, wow, I think that'll be one of the calls we'll be talking about at the end of the year. Absolutely. Earlier today, one of our good listeners, Vincenzo Landini, um, or Landino, uh, posted a really kind of cool snapshot. And I sincerely apologize. I'm brutal with names. I apologize. But he had <laughs> he had posted a really cool graphic, and it was basically the race classification and the final positions for qualifying. And if you took it out of context and hadn't watched the race, you would have assumed mm. it was boring race. Max qualifies on pole. Max wins the race. Lewis number two. Lewis like in, in out of context, it would have been terribly, terribly boring. And I'll be honest, I've been guilty of that in the past when it comes to a motorsport event. Like, do I even want to watch this event? Let me look at qualifying. Does it match up with the race classification? Yes, I'm out. And in this case, you know what? This could have been a, a deceiving or misleading trait for this race, but it was absolutely fantastic. And I think one of the bigger considerations here was, and it's it's been made pretty clear that most of the teams in the paddock were pretty adamant going into Sunday that they were planning on a one-stop strategy. Nobody going into this race weekend were planning on a two-stop strategy. And one of the things that I think was played down a little bit during the course of the race week or the race week and race itself was the fact that it rained pretty heavily on Saturday night. So on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, when you start getting those cars out, there was a ton of rubber laid down on that track. And when there's a ton of rubber laid down on the track, the grip might not be great, but tire degradation is better. On Saturday night, it pours with rain. It washes all that grip away. So suddenly the track that they were racing on Friday, Saturday was very, very different than the track that they were racing on Sunday. And when now that rubber's washed off the track, all of a sudden the contact patch of the tires on the car is making contact with the pavement, with the pebbles, with the stone, with the tar. And the degradation on Sunday was dramatically worse than I think any of the teams were expecting. So all these teams have been running simulator models and modeling out a race that would have seen them kind of execute a one-stop strategy. And all of a sudden, that's not necessarily going to be what's necessary to finish this race. Red Bull, I, I think... And you know what? They It was a big risk for them, right? It was a risk for Mercedes to run a one-stop. It was a risk for Red Bull to run a two-stop. And ultimately, because of the circumstances of the race, because Max didn't put a foot wrong, and you know what? You can criticize him for that first corner mistake. And you know what? Hamilton made a mistake on the 50-second lap as well when he made a little bit of contact with that curve. But ultimately, Max ran a fantastic race. Lewis ran a fantastic race. But the differentiator in the end was that pit stop. It was the undercut. It was the fact that they were... They were willing to take the risk on the two-stop, but ultimately it made for an exceptionally entertaining race. And I think what was also exciting too is it wasn't just exciting at the top. There was a lot of other really compelling storylines and you knocked, you touched on it. Aston Martin getting a double points finish. And I was also extremely happy for Lance Stroll. This is a guy that ultimately finished 20th from the pit lane uh, two weeks after an incredibly, incredibly 
tough crash and impact at Baku. He yep. recovered psychologically. Mm-hmm. They recovered the car. He put in a great drive, but fantastic race weekend, fantastic Sunday. Yeah, you know, I, I touched on it very briefly about uh, what, what happened to Lance in qualifying, and it was just one of those uh, frustrating moments. And I mean, I know we're homers when it comes to the uh, the North American drivers, and rightfully so. Uh, but I mean, just talk about a, you know, a, a frustrating Q1 for Lance. He goes out, his first lap is time deleted because he exceeds the track limits in turn six, which uh, they'd been warned about after uh, practice on Friday. So, you know, there's still plenty of opportunity, plenty of time for him to go back out, set a fast time, and get you to Q2, which you would expect that uh, at the bare minimum, Aston Martin should be expected to make it into Q2. They obviously want to get uh, further than that, but you know he goes out for a second flying lap, hits a ton of traffic, and then backs off halfway down the the, the Mistral Strait at the back of the track, and then uh, he figures, okay, well, I'll just uh, bring it back around, and I'm going to go and give it one more. I'll have enough time to go and put in a ha- uh, you know one lap as time basically expires when I cross a start finish. Poor old Mick Schumacher has a, a bit of an incident, puts his car into the wall, and then that's it. Red flag. Can they cancel the session? And Lance right at the very back, save for uh, Yuki Sonoda, who put his car into the tire wall right, uh, well, I think right at the very start of the session. And uh, that also brought out the red flags for a little bit, too. So tough start for, to the weekend uh, for, for Lance, but uh, great recovery. And then also uh, his teammate Sebastian Vettel and uh, you know, also getting uh, points in, in P9. So that that's obviously a, a long way off. Uh, where we would uh, like them to see. I mean, both you and I were really uh, looking forward to seeing what, the, what this team could do. And they, they've had a very difficult uh, half dozen start or races uh, to, to start the season until uh, Baku a couple of weeks ago. But I think that uh, this is one that uh, they're, they're going to take. And, uh, you know, they, they should feel good about this one. The other one I thought that was a, a great result was obviously the double points finish uh, for, for McLaren. They, you know, to start the race for the longest time, they were kind of hovering there sort of right in about the, the, the points cut off there and fighting with the Ferraris who looked semi-decent uh, actually I thought the first stint there but uh, you know, you know faded uh, you know, as uh, as the race went on but the one takeaway that uh, that I had from the, the the race itself for the final classification I mean looking at uh, Lando and P5 Ricardo and P6 so a little bit further back off of his teammate but uh, I, I was very encouraged what I saw from Danny Ricardo this, uh, the, this afternoon he looked a lot more like the Danny Ricardo that I've been expecting to see for a while, and uh, at least today we, we saw some uh, some evidence of that. I mean, he had a great start, outbreaked uh, a couple of his uh, competitors going into that first corner. You know, is that you know that sort of his uh, reputation, the last of the late breakers, and uh, certainly he picked up a couple of points there. So it was great to see him looking uh, pretty racy. You know, it, it you know it took him what about four or five laps to make that uh, maneuver and pass uh, Fernando going into the chicane on the on the Mistral Straight there, but uh, a very racy very positive looking uh, weekend for McLaren especially for Ricardo and uh, I think he'll feel good about that for sure yeah completely agree I'll just quickly touch on the Aston Martin situation as well so we talked a little bit about Lance again another points finish for Sebastian Vettel and and I think if any of the Aston Martin drivers had really struggled before Baku it was it was certainly Sebastian Vettel I think one of the really nice things to see is he seems to be re-engaging with the sport of Formula One whether it's the media uh, he's trading helmets with other drivers he did a helmet swap with Fernando to Alonso this weekend, which was really cool. And the other cool thing that I think a lot of the German fans are probably really excited about is he's spending a lot of time pulling Mick Schumacher aside. They were they were caught on camera looking in, in Mick's car this weekend, talking about setup, talking about strategy. And I just think that's a good news story for Aston 
Aston Martin. I think it's also a good news uh, story for Formula One because it's good if a four times world champion is engaged with the sport. But in terms of the McLaren piece, I think it was a really good drive by Daniel Ricciardo today. And I don't want to get too excited, uh, but I think he looked very, very good. And I loved his radio message as well. He seemed excitable. He seemed happy. He was pumped up. You could see it in his media interviews. You could hear it on the radio. You could see it in his social media posts after the race. He seems to be at a much, much, much better place now. And and naturally, I think if you look at the races he's putting together, it's not just that he's finishing in the points, but if you want to use Lando Norris as a benchmark in terms of how he's improving race over race over race, he's getting closer and closer in the sectors. His lap times are very, very close and they're not quite at parity yet, but you have every reason to think that maybe by the time we get to the summer break, there's going to be a couple races where he's going to be pipping his teammate Lando Norris, uh, probably in qualifying, but also in the race, which is really good to see. But the other thing too, and this is really exciting is for McLaren fans, they've now surpassed, they've leapt ahead of Ferrari in the championship standings, which I know you'll probably get to a little bit early or a little bit later, but they now sit at 110 points to Ferrari's 94. And I think maybe you're being a little bit generous about Ferrari this weekend. My perspective is you're right, not a terrible start, but ultimately whatever the engineers and the mechanics had decided to do in terms of a suspension setup on those cars, it did not work. They were having major graining and degradation issues on the front tires of both of their cars. Their pace was terrible as a result. They had absolutely no speed coming into the corners. They are having to brake super early because they knew they weren't going to have the stopping power. To me, it was a bad weekend overall for Ferrari. And if not for the fact that maybe this track had so much runoff area, they could have had an even more challenging weekend because some of their mistakes weren't uh, penalized in the way it would be in a, a tighter configuration. But for McLaren, great weekend. They're firmly in third place in the championships. And uh, for Aston Martin, bit by bit by bit, it seems like they're starting to link multiple strong performances together. Mm -hmm. And I think the risk or the concern coming out of Baku was, again, that's an unusual race. It's unpredictable. Sometimes you see surprise podiums. Were they going to roll that into a better weekend or a, a successive successful weekend? And even though they only pick up three points, I still think it was a, a good weekend for Aston Martin. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, before we go into our first uh, break here, Mark, I uh, just had a, uh, a reply here from uh, Andrew Whitaker in Twitter, um, just regarding the the first round of pit stops. I thought that Max had a 2.3. I thought Lewis was a 2.5. He was saying that uh, that it's the other way around. Do you remember exactly what the what the pit stops were? I know that, uh, you know, I agree with what Andrew's saying is that Max had a really great uh, outlap, which, uh, you know, really made the the, the difference. But I, I know I was thinking before, the, well, after Max's lap or his pit stop was, okay, it's not the 1.9 three or whatever that ridiculous uh, pit stop time was that uh, that he set uh, or Red Bull gave him a couple of races ago but uh, maybe I did have that uh, mixed up but you know certainly it was uh, <laughs> it, it was kind of funny just watching Max come down start finish and it looks so close and then you see Lewis because I mean it is very slow with the reduced pit limit or pit uh, pit lane speed 80 limit kilometers in there. an hour baby yeah just uh, you know you, you could almost uh, you, you could just watch the seconds tick away as they get to that uh, that white line where they're allowed to accelerate and uh, by, by that time just that uh, couple of tenths uh, really made uh, made a difference anyways I'll, I'll look I'll let you look that one up we're going to take a quick break here and then when we come back we're going to be talking about uh, that and more so don't go away we'll be right back in just a moment passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. 
Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. Mark and Mark here recapping all the action on the track at Circuit Paul Ricard this afternoon. And boy, was it uh, ever an exciting uh, race. Uh, well, especially if you're Max Verstappen and Red Bull fan. I mean, what a great result uh, for, for Red Bull again. Max winning the race, Sergio P3. Max also picking up the fastest lap award. It, um, you know, I... I I couldn't help but think that uh, Mercedes and, you know, of course, they have done an amazing job dominating the sport, uh, you know, for the past uh, several, almost, uh, you know, a, a full on decade now. But I couldn't help but thinking at one point that uh, we, we all know that the Mercedes car is made to run out front. It's, it, it performs better in the clean air, which they all do. But I couldn't help but thinking maybe this team is... Uh, you know, maybe they're also programmed to, to be running out at the, you know, leading the race, uh, maybe one, two or in the top uh, couple of uh, slots any rate. And I couldn't help but think at one point that apart from that, that one, say two thirds of a season back in 2018, when Ferrari were pretty pretty strong and winning some races there that they really haven't been pushed this hard. I mean, I, I know that uh, Seb- or sorry, Sebastian was leading the championship. It was kind of going back and forth. It just feels different this uh, time around with Max and Red Bull. And I guess maybe as well, because uh, you, you have uh, a pretty strong you know, combination now with Sergio Perez. They're leading the Constructors' Championship at this point in the season. I don't know if it's just uh, my perspective, but uh, it, it feels different than the Ferrari Challenge a couple of uh, years ago. What are, what are your thoughts? Do you yeah. agree with that or not? Yeah, I, I really do. And let's put this race aside. I think we're starting to see some things that we we haven't seen in the turbo hybrid era. This is, and, and this is really important. And I was pretty shocked to hear this, but. The Verstappen pole on Saturday was only the eighth Red Bull pole of the V6 turbo hybrid era. This is also the first time that Red Bull has now run off three consecutive victories in the V6 Mm -hmm. turbo hybrid era. And importantly, not only have they run off the triple header, they're now effectively going back to home court. They're going to Austria at a Red Bull owned track in front of Red Bull fans for back-to-back events. So the next two race weekends are in Austria. Like it just, it feels like things are coming together. And I think you're absolutely right in the sense that Mercedes strategy, their modeling, their simulations, everything historically has probably been built around this concept of leading from the front. And all of a sudden, all the simulations, all the modeling, all the work that they've done over the course of the last six years is far more problematic because that's not where they're running. Earlier in the race as well, and I can't recall if it was Crofty or somebody else, but they'd made a note as well that, hey, Mercedes looks good. That advantage that Red Bull has historically had this year because of the funny business with the wing, the funny business with the tire pressure, you know, that field has been completely level set by the FIA. But ultimately, even if they did make a change to tire pressure for that increased grip in the corners, even if they did make a change to the wing, which would have compromised their speed in the straights, it didn't seem Mm -hmm. to make much of a difference, to be totally honest. And I think 
think Mercedes was handed a bit of a gift early on. One, because Max went wide in that corner for the reason that you described earlier. Two, because he didn't hit one of the ballers. And I think probably the most impressive piece of that Max Verstappen recovery wasn't the fact that he recovered to second, but the fact that he didn't hit a baller. Because if he hit a baller, his entire race could have been compromised. But ultimately, Mercedes were handed a gift early and they couldn't close. And partly it was due to the strategy. But I'm really, really, really curious to hear your thoughts on the strategy because I think this is what everyone's talking about talking about online last weekend it was the tires this weekend it was the strategy but i just i want to level set once again that coming into sunday nobody not a single team in the paddock was talking about a two-stop strategy and as a result it was a risky move for red bull it wasn't a no-brainer it was a risk for them just as much as it was a risk for Mercedes to stay on a one-stop strategy. Where this entire situation really became inflamed ultimately was, of course, the fact that Bottas lost the podium, Hamilton lost the win, but furthermore, it was that radio message from Bottas that you alluded to right right off the top that has everybody talking, not just about the strategy which complicated and potentially lost them two podium finishes or one podium finishes and race win, but ultimately what this is going to do to that Bottas relationship. Because we've talked about it, the contact with Toto's boy, Russell early on, the fact that there was the fiasco in Monaco, and now there's a situation where Bottas was by all accounts extremely clear to the team that based on his interpretation of how the tires were performing, they needed to go two stop. They didn't. And he felt it was necessary to go on the radio in front of an international TV audience and put that team on blast. Yeah, well, I mean, dropping F-bombs all over the place. But, I mean, Lewis was saying, I mean, they gave him the option after Max uh, pitted, but uh, Lewis was saying that he didn't uh, see that there would be, like, an advantage because Max was so fast in the straights. He was already so far ahead. And he felt his only option was that he should stay out and try and manage the tires and hope that uh, he could make his tires last and manage that gap. Unfortunately, uh, Valtteri's tires were degrading so long, he wasn't able to run that uh, that interference and, and really kind of hold Max. Up. I mean, it was inevitable at some point that Max was going to pass Bottas and make a run at Lewis. But when it came down to it, again, it was that chicane on the Mistral Strait on the back of the circuit where we saw a number of passes uh, throughout the afternoon, uh, all up and down the grid. And uh, Bottas just outbreaking himself a little bit uh, too much, going too deep into the corner and really did not offer too much, uh, well, barely any resistance uh, to Max uh, whatsoever. I mean, they came out of that chicane basically side by side. Max just, uh, you know, had the best benefit of being on the inside by the time they got to the next corner you know he was just ahead Bottas is out on the uh, on the marbles but you know like you said I mean it was the way that he put the team on blast and rightfully so I mean he said I told you we needed to go to plan B we needed to go to two stops and look, come on I mean we've talked about it before that he's obviously not the guy to be the long-term solution to Mercedes but come on I mean the guy has been with the team he's been in that car oh, for five totally seasons man. now he's won a bunch of races he's helped you win a ton of championships he's one of two people that's in that car in real time giving you feedback and saying you know the best option right now is to go for two pit stops and make that second stop and they didn't and quite rightfully he was furious i was furious i'm 100 behind what valtteri Bottas said he was right to do so and if there's any criticism coming from a mercedes about uh, you know I, I don't know if there is or not but if they criticize him even behind closed doors i'd be like you know guys look at yourselves we you guys made the wrong call i think bot has absolutely justified because they they gave away a ton of points today and they they did not need to have that happen so 
It's funny you bring that up. Uh, I saw a story shortly before we came on, and I'm trying to validate this, but there's a quote from Toto indicating the reason they were forced into the strategy they went to is because Bottas had a lockup on the third lap, which bought it or flattened out his tires, and they had to bring him in, which would have compromised their ability to do a dual stop strategy for Bottas. And when I saw that, I'm just like, and again, I haven't verified the authenticity of this article, which you need to do with all the clickbait out there, but I'm just like, if if Toto did that, if he said that and he tried to imply or implicate Bottas in the decision making around the strategy, that's total bullish BS. And I just I remember as well, like I, I don't fault Bottas for for I don't think he let I don't think he let Verstappen by, but I just I feel like the state of his tires were such at that point, they were so compromised, it was going to happen inevitably. If he could have kept them off an extra 200 yards, three corners, five corners, half a lap, whatever, it wasn't going to make a difference. Verstappen finished mm-hmm. five seconds ahead of Hamilton. It was ultimately inevitable. And I, I remember as well, there was that comment, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but during the race, they played some radio, and it was Hamilton asking the team, like, is Verstappen going to get me? And they said, and I quote, copy Lewis, it all depends on how easy it is for him to get through Valtteri. And I just, that comment as well, if I'm a Bottas fan, and you know I'm not, but that comment just implies that Bottas is uh, incapable of holding him back. And again, even, even the tone of that message, it all depends on how easy it is for him to get through Valtteri, seemed a little disrespectful ultimately. And the other consideration too is this, look, Again, based on the condition of Valtteri's tires, he wasn't going to score a podium. Sergio put in a great race and got by him. Bottas had a fantastic race until this point. What I can't understand is why Mercedes didn't bring him in at the very end, change his tires, and at least let him chase fastest lap. At least give him that, and they chose not to. And I cannot understand that for the life of me. Yeah, you know, actually, that uh, that story that you're talking about, I just, uh, as you were talking, I did just uh, look it up. It's on motorsport.com, which I would say is one of the more reputable Absolutely. and more accurate uh, sites out there. I mean, you can pretty much take whatever they say uh, to the bank. Anyways, you know, my, my takeaway on this is uh, similar to the whole Monaco debacle where they shredded the wheel nuts. And uh, then afterwards, uh, they said, well, you know, Toto was saying, well, Valtteri wasn't uh, on his marks 100%, uh, you know, in the, the, the days after By the race. and 15 millimeters. Us- Jeez. Yeah, like that much. Come on. And uh, my my initial take was uh, this is something uh, similar. I mean, okay, if he had a bit of a flat spot, he did. But come on. I mean, where it really came down to the end is, yeah, okay, sure. The the undercut worked uh, for, for Red Bull. Max had a great outlap. He was able to just pip Lewis to first place, which he probably shouldn't have given up in the in the first place. But, you know, hey, racing, that things happen. And Max, uh, like, uh, like you so uh, nicely pointed out, I mean, he was able to save the car, didn't hit the bollards or split the bollards and then... Then get a uh, you know a, like a five second penalty or whatever it would have been uh, had he not uh, rejoined the track uh, properly. But uh, what, what it really came down to is uh, Red Bull, and I've always thought that their 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 tactics are on point. I mean, this is going back for a number of years. They're, they're, this is also the team that's the master of the double stack. They've done this uh, numerous times. But where where this race really turned on it is the fact that they decided to go for that second stop with Max. It was risky, but it paid off. And then Mercedes, I mean, they. 
they had such a small, narrow window to react to that and bring Lewis uh, back in and, and make a second stop themselves and why they, they sort, of, sort of hummed and hawed about it or, or uh, just uh, did not address it, that that window of opportunity closed and then all of a sudden they found themselves in the situation that, hey, you know what, it's uh, we, 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 we know or we think that maybe two stops is the way to go, but it's too late. You know, we just have to make do with what we have and hope that uh, that, that Max, we know that he's going to be uh, quick where all those uh, tires in the, uh, are in the sweet spot, but how quick is he going to drop off on the pace? And if so, is that going to happen? Where, when, when's he going to hit the wall and kind of, well, not literally hit the wall, but when is the performance of those tires going to drop off and that uh, that uh, advantage that he has reeling Lewis Hamilton, how, how soon before the end of the race is that going to occur? And as it uh, played out in the end, I mean, it was very close to the end of the race uh, by by the time he actually kind of caught Lewis was only what lap and a half uh, from the end or maybe even less than that but uh, it um it it was really fascinating because you know one of the things I thought was interesting was uh, initially when when the undercut worked for Verstappen and Red Bull was uh, Bono on the radio saying sorry about that Lewis they uh, they, they basically uh, beat us to it don't know what and uh, yeah yeah we don't know what happened because you know we we all know at this point how famous it is uh, you know it's always expected whenever something like that happens you're going to hear Lewis on the on the on the radio at some point after that guys what's going on we're losing the race here guys you know how's this happening we have to be better, uh, you know, whatever it might be. So it was interesting. And of course, we, we don't know what else came over the radio first. Uh, I mean, just the way that uh, you know, the, the, the context that's pre- presented in the race broadcast is that came first or that was the only uh, the, the, the only radio broadcast. Who knows what uh, Lewis said, but I thought it was a, a little bit uh, interesting. But I mean, props to uh, Red Bull. I mean, they that, that was a really gutsy call and it really... They, they pulled it off by the skin of their teeth and really where it turned on it was the fact that uh, that Bottas was just not able to hold him off because his tires were shot, right? And this is where that criticism of F1 being all about the cars tends to fall a little bit flat, right? Strategy makes a, a big chunk of the intrigue and excitement of Formula One. And again, I think one of the things that's really interesting here is everything we're talking about kind of goes back to what we talked about on Thursday in the sense that the sport mandates one stop every race. They mandate two tire compounds. They develop tires that are intentionally designed to degrade, to promote strategy and to promote intrigue and create excitement. And all of that played out this weekend. I think the frustrating piece for me though is, and I'm kind of speaking because obviously I'm a, I'm a Lewis fan, although ultimately I, I'll be happy. I'll be thrilled with a max championship. I'd be thrilled with a Lando championship. I think what's frustrating for me is the math was very, very easy. When that undercut happened, all you had to do was pull out a calculator and just assume if Max picks up one and a half seconds or two seconds per lap on Hamilton, he is going to catch him by lap 50, by 51, 52. And it wasn't a super, 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 um, I would say generous calculation that got him catching Hamilton. It was pretty simple Mm -hmm. math. And I think what's really important for everyone that's listening at home is you you see the pit wall at at the track and you know you've got the team principal and a couple of their engineers there and they're talking about strategy. All of the strategy is actually being downloaded to them from mission control of the factories. Every team has a mission control center at their factory. They have a dozen, 15, 20 analysts there and all they're doing is running models full time. If Sergio comes in 
at this time and he goes on to these tires, when will he catch us? If Sergio comes in at this time, if Max comes in at this time, they're playing out every situation constantly. So the second that Max came in on went on to that compound, Mercedes should have known exactly how to react and they still chose not to. The math was there. So either they didn't trust the advice that was coming to them from Mission Control and Brackley, which is where their factory is, or they got the wrong advice or they didn't get any advice. And this is where I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really struggling. It was a risk for it was a risk for Red Bull to take the dual stop strategy. I just don't understand why Mercedes didn't react. They had enough. They didn't have a ton of time, but they had enough time that they could have reacted and they chose not to. And then I think for yeah. me, the other frustrating point too is Bottas was running an exceptional race. You didn't listen to his feedback, and it may have been feedback that other drivers were giving as well. But you didn't listen to his feedback. Why not bring him in, put him on fresh tires, and at least give him the opportunity to go after that extra point? He wasn't ever going to finish lower than. Four Forth, give them the chance to go after that point because by you taking that point you're taking it away from Verstappen and that point could be key when it comes to deciding the drivers mm-hmm. or the constructors championship yeah it, it really is um you know <laughs> it was really the worst result that uh, Mercedes uh, could have uh, you know wanted on the weekend even though that they had Lewis and P2 anyways I got some thoughts on that we're going to take a quick break when we come back I'm going to answer that cool. so don't go away we're going to be back in just a moment Okay, well, welcome back to the show. And uh, yeah, Mark, uh, just uh, like you were saying uh, before the, the the break there, yeah, I mean, Valtteri, he had a ton of space between yeah, him and I guess it would have been what, Lando? Yeah, was, Lando. Uh, yeah, it would have been Lando. I mean, he had what, 30, 40 seconds. I mean, barring an, an absolute catastrophe of a pit stop, uh, you know, there there was no way that, uh, that Lando was going to close that. I mean, yeah, I mean, bring him in, let him get that fastest lap, at least try and salvage uh, something. But I mean, you look now at the gap that they have in both championships. I mean, Max is what, 12 points up on Lewis? I mean, it, it's not a huge gap, but it's starting to get significant, right? And it, it really is fascinating now because we're going to the Red Bull ring, like you said a little bit earlier, for a couple of races. And uh, like you say, it is a Red Bull owned track. It's basically their home base. They're going to have all their fans there or whatever percentage they're allowed. But, it, you know, if you look at last year, I mean, both those two races that the Austrian and the Styrian Grand Prix, which is basically one, one A and one B, you know, two part race, whatever you want to call it. Both those uh, races were won uh, by Mercedes. First, uh, the, the first race was, was the first one wet or was the second one? Anyways, but uh, the year before that, Mercedes didn't have a great race and Max did. So uh, last year was a little bit weird because you know it's the first two races in the pandemic and you know we had that uh, enforced layoff because remember last year um, uh, Red Bull they kind of came out of the well they didn't kind of they came out of the gate uh, very sluggish and it really took them a number of races before they were really up to speed and 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 that was on the back of uh, Christian Horner saying at the time that oh we're the most prepared ever that we've uh, been coming into a season pandemic notwithstanding and all that and it really took them uh, a good number of races to find their mojo and and, you know, it was always it was always the same. It was always the two Mercedes, Max five, six, seven seconds behind, and then every else uh, behind them. But this year, it's it's a completely different scenario, and they're going into this race now. You got to think that uh, they're going to be feeling pretty good about uh, where where they're at right now, especially if you kind of maybe take. Well, I, I think obviously you have to look at last year, but I think maybe you're looking at those two races, uh, the opening rounds of 2020, and everything else going on around it, uh, re-pandemic. 
pandemic and factories shutdowns and drivers out of the car for months and months and months and all that sort of stuff that maybe those are outliers. Take what you learned from it uh, for, from last year, but maybe that's not your best uh, indication because it, that, that probably wasn't Red Bull's best weekends out of the entire season last year. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I feel like I'm probably and I apologize to everyone. I was getting a little bit emotional, but I, I was super invested in this race. All that said, all that said, I, I just want to reiterate before I kind of break into the next point that F1 is supposed to be fun. It's ex- an escape. This weekend was a hell of a lot of fun. It was a fantastic race. Yep. We're excited. We're talking about strategy. We're talking about drivers. We're talking about overtakes and undercuts. This is what F1's about. And this is why I'm so excited, but it's okay to get passionate and it's okay to be excitable. And I, I just think that's kind of where we are. And I think the worst thing would be if we didn't have these kind of things to to talk about. I think if I'm going to have one final point on the Mercedes strategy piece is This seems to be a recurring issue this year, and it's the kind of thing that can start to sow discord within a team. Obviously, Mm -hmm. there's some big question marks around this team. What's Hamilton's new deal going to look like? Is Valtteri coming back? Is Russell going to replace him? And then on top of that, you've got all of these uh, really questionable strategy decisions. You had strategy questions in Monaco and Baku, and you had strategy questions here. And then it just seems to happen that every weekend where there's a a Mercedes issue or strategic miscue, it just seems to translate one way or the other into a Red Bull win. And that's that's just how tight the championship is because ultimately there's really only two teams competing if mercedes makes a mistake it's unlikely that's going to be ferrari that scoops in and takes up those points it's unlikely that mclaren's going to step in and scoop up those points and red bull is just on such great form right now in terms of reliability and pace Mm -hmm. and teamwork and strategy and i know i'm going to be totally put on blast by our listeners for being so so pro Red Bull here, but it's it's hard to discount the complete package that they're bringing to the race weekend every single year. And every single mistake that Mercedes makes is being caught and it's being inflamed and it's being exaggerated. And in prior years, maybe that wasn't the case. And maybe you could have recovered from some of these mistakes and still won a race or took a couple of podiums. But this year, there is absolutely no margin for error. They have no margin for error this year, unlike any other year during the turbo hybrid era, ultimately. But I I'm excited to see what uh, Austria is going to look like. I I think to your point, you've summed it up pretty, pretty well, but I just feel like they have an awful lot of momentum going into back to back weekends at their home track. And nobody, nobody knows this track better than the Red Bull factory teams. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was just thinking as you're talking about uh, some of the strategy issues and things like that uh, with uh, with Mercedes is just going back to 2018, for example, when uh, it was uh, Vettel and Hamilton, uh, you know, fighting it out for the championship in that first half of the season was it seemed whenever there was, uh, you know, a, a strategy error or something on the you know, call on the pit wall that uh, didn't work out. It was always on the Ferrari. Yes, side. it just yes, seems that yes. that's. Yeah. And, and, and for Mercedes, it was like every uh, call that they made was, uh, was, was, was the right one. And then, you know, you come into a couple of years later and then I don't know what it is, but it seems to be that, uh, you know, Sahir is one that really sticks out that, that disastrous double stack and getting the wrong tires oh, on the wrong car. And, 
And, and, you know, it seems to me that those are controllable things. I mean, when it comes down to things like cost caps and, and budgets and things like that and smaller workforces, okay, that, that's one thing, but it just, uh, it seems very strange that when it comes to things like, like the decisions, the strategy, the, the calls in the garage or in the pit wall, that seems, it, it just doesn't compute. Like I, I can understand maybe the team not having like the being able to spend the way to, to, to victory like they have done since 2014. But that that's one thing. This this whole separate, uh, you know, strategy stuff and the pit wall stuff that just it's not computing for me. I'm just uh, not able to get my mind around that and where the issue is there. You're absolutely right. You make such a great point in the sense that you can spend all the money in the world on your team, but if you have a mechanic that strips a nut on the wheel, none of that matters. And you could have the biggest factory and the most mechanics and the biggest marketing team and the biggest marketing budget, but if you make a bad call on race day when it comes to a single stop versus a two stop strategy, none of that money that's being spent matters. And you're absolutely right. It feels like it feels like for sure we saw mistakes in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. We did, but the distance, the delta between Mercedes and every other team was so great that it didn't seem to really matter. But to your point, we saw a few flashes in in 2019. And you're right, towards the back half of last year, we start to see them become a little bit more impactful. And that that example that you share in Sahir, I think that still resonates with most fans because I think so many of us were cheering for George Russell to, to chase mm-hmm. those points, to chase that podium. And ultimately, I team mistake and a brutal unexcused inexcusable mistake cost him that podium potentially cost him that win but it just seems like those mistakes have rolled over to this year and to your point they're all yeah i'm gonna say it they feel self-inflicted and i can only imagine how frustrated the drivers are i can only imagine how frustrated bottas is look at look at bottas's year now we said this off the top monaco you know what? That's that's terrible. Obviously, the impact in Imola with George Russell, and I think that's a little bit personal. I think if it was mm-hmm. any other driver for Bottas, it wouldn't be so personal. But think about it. The guy that collected him and took him off and destroyed his race and stole all those points is the guy that's being teed up as his replacement and also that's manager. Toto's boy, right? Yeah, to- for those of you that don't know, Toto is George Russell's manager, but he's also Valtteri's boss. <laughs> it's a really odd dynamic. So I think this is one of those situations where maybe you're starting to see a little bit of discord sowed within the team. And when I saw those comments that we spoke to a couple minutes ago from Toto about the fact that, hey, look, ultimately uh, we were forced into the strategy decision that we made because Valtteri flat bottomed his tires on lap three. I'm like, geez, dude, even if that's true, don't say it. Say it in the driver briefing. Don't say it out loud. Like the F1 Twitter world doesn't need to hear that and to grip onto that. Yeah, you know, it's uh, and that's the thing that uh, kind of like uh, ticks me off a little bit to considering all the, the the good things, the phenomenal work that Valtteri Bottas has done for that team since 2017. It's just like these breadcrumbs that are being dropped all over the place, left, right and center by Total Wolf that uh, when the announcement, uh, you know, almost it seems it's going to be inevitable now yep. that uh, the Georgie boy is going to get that second Mercedes uh, seat. It'll be like, oh, yeah, well, that 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 makes sense. You know, that uh, that that Bottas guy, he's such a screw up. Look, uh, you know, he, he ruined his tires in France and cost Lewis the victory and blah 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 he ruined that pit stop in Monaco and and all these different things when it, you know they, those are I think completely uh, overblown comments and uh, you know I, I'm starting to get ticked off you know and like I, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Neil Bottas I mean not, not that I dislike him but I mean he's just not one of the drivers I cheer for but I'm starting to feel 
I, I could feel his frustration oh, and it's too. starting to tick me off. You know, it's just like he doesn't deserve it. And um, it, it just it seems like all those, uh, you know, all the dominoes are being set up. And at some point, you know, somebody's going to come and knock them all over. And then uh, you're going to see uh, George Russell in that car. So maybe maybe the last know. thing I would add on this one as well is just to be clear, sure. I, I feel the same way as you do about Bottas. But just to be clear, this was unquestionably the best race he's had this year. The best yeah, race. Yeah. He's responded to all the criticism. You look at Monaco retirement, Azerbaijan, he was nowhere, absolutely nowhere. And we criticized him like crazy on the show, as I, I'm sure so many other critics and analysts did. But he was incredibly racy. He was battling in the top three. He was not dramatically off the pace and he was unlikely to take first or second but he was very clearly deserving of a podium and ultimately he Mm -hmm. didn't get a podium because of the mercedes strategy and as we heard late in the race that was a strategy that he simply wasn't aligned with tonight yeah, you know, it uh, just to maybe wrap this one up and put a bow around it is that, that. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, like uh, like we we're saying just now the the like the budget things, the removal of say the dual axis steering that uh, maybe affected the performance on the car, which Great we, we talked about uh, Leo last week. That uh, th- this was a self inflicted thing, you know, they they had the opportunity to make that second stop like Red Bull did. They just uh, decided uh, not to do it. They decided to go against the uh, you know at least uh, may- maybe Lewis. Uh, you know, maybe if Lewis wanted to, to stay out and chance it on the tires, that's one thing. But I mean, Bottas was basically screaming to go in and do it, and they didn't. And uh, it uh, just really well worked out in the worst possible uh, way for them. Anyways, I, I want to take uh, one last uh, break here, Mark. And when we come back, I got uh, one uh, question I want to uh, you know uh, to, to, to talk about. Anyways, before we go to the break here, Huffle Z Puffle in the live chat on YouTube <laughs> saying, "Guys, this is the third race in a row that you guys have set me up." Uh, to expect a boring race because of the track and this rake, race was uniquely great awesome first season to be getting into formula one so <laughs> we've been put on notice here so guys maybe you should stop uh, listening to us when it comes to prediction on races because <laughs> clearly we're getting it all wrong or, each and every or time, for the but, greater uh, good of the sport we just talk down yeah, every maybe. race every race is <laughs> terrible don't even tune in yeah, exactly. Maybe it's time to ask us for our pits, uh, picks when it comes to betting. Hey, who's yeah, going to yeah. win this weekend? And then, you know, whatever we say, go, go and bet on the other guy instead. Yeah. Anyways, uh, time for a quick break. When we come back uh, at a moment, uh, I'm going to dive into the mailbag. So don't go away. We're going to be right back. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. So, yes, uh, we did, uh, you know, just going back to that uh, comment there in the live chat, uh, Mark, just about uh, maybe the track uh, being boring. And, uh, you know, I was actually quite surprised, uh, you know, the, at the amount and quality of overtaking that uh, that, that we did see on Sunday. I mean, it, it was basically all at the same place at that uh, chicane, uh, you know, on the back street there. But uh, it, it is interesting. We had uh, an uh, email here from uh, Eric Gordon it says, hey, Mark and Mark, fellow Vancouver right here. I'm a returning F1 fan. And brought back into the fold by Drive to Survive. Why do circuits like Paul Ricard, which are criticized for being boring, uh, just don't renovate or configure? There are many possible other configurations available. They could also widen the track to encourage more passing, remove some of those long corners, 
there are obvious, uh, no obvious uh, physical limitations like street tracks. So why don't uh, circuits change in response to the critiques? Now, I mean, uh, oh, sorry, P.S. Actually, I like the look of the red and blue uh, runoff areas, which, you know, was interesting because, uh, you know, as you talked about uh, last uh, last show, that uh, those are actually different areas of this sort of like extra grippy paint and asphalt and stuff like that, which are actually intended to slow the cars down. So, I mean, if you get off on that, uh, you know, it could obviously uh, ruin your tires or uh, certainly, uh, you know, not do them very many favors but he he makes a great point uh, that uh, at paul ricard at least uh, maybe you know i mean it's a fairly compact uh, track it is not very wide it's not like uh, you see say for silverstone uh, for example which is uh, built on an old uh, world war ii uh, airbase right and you see the amount of area that uh, that that uh, it encapsulates and like you said a couple of days ago it literally takes two or two and a half hours to walk around this uh, the, this circuit i mean paul ricard still obviously uh, you know a very you know a long circuit uh, but it's very tight and compact but where they don't have say the like uh, maybe room to change uh, you know the radius of a corner or do this and that they do have all these different areas because i mean they're it's all basically one giant asphalted area and there are so many different uh, configurations and i couldn't help but uh, notice it too when you saw some of the, the different camera angles throughout the, the the weekend and you see all these like little corners here and there and i couldn't help but thinking to myself okay yeah you get that great long back uh, straight away the mistral straight where they're doing 200 plus miles an hour before they hit that chicane and that last complex of uh, corners before you get back into uh, start finish they're kind of cool because you kind of have a uh, you know at least one double apex corner so it's interesting to see the drivers uh, go through there but they're not really set up uh, for uh, for passing in those uh, corners there but i mean so there are other options where they could use some of these other, uh, you know, corners, other parts of the track. And I couldn't help but thinking, looking at the circuit throughout the weekend, there has to be some other combination of, of corners and parts of the track that would still be conducive to running, uh, you know, a, you know, a Formula One car through there that would be uh, favorable. I, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing something out there and kind of hoping something will stick. But that thought after reading Eric's email, it just won't go away. That I mean, I mean, we saw a good race with lots of overtaking at times, but I can't help but feeling that maybe they haven't explored the possibilities there as much as they have in other places like uh, Australia, where they have made some uh, modifications. We'll find out whether or not those have worked. Uh, but thoughts on that, Mark? I think this is a great question that Eric asked, and I- I'll-, I'll answer it in a couple of ways. I think the first thing is this. If the track was contemplating or the track owners were contemplating changes to improve the Formula One experience. It's not happening now. After this weekend, I think Formula One has come and said, look, with the current configuration, we can put on a great show. And I don't think that memory is going to go away anytime soon. I think for track organizers, the, the principal reason they don't revisit track configuration ultimately is cost. It costs a tremendous amount of money to get a track designer in. It costs a tremendous amount of money to get the engineers in modifying a track means downtime so you're not able to collect revenue from other events while the modifications are being made you have to go through the whole fia grade one or grade a uh, approval and a kind of validation process once again and the real challenge for paul ricard is this is a heavily 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 used track and one of the reasons that so many of the runoff areas are concrete is because that appeals to club racers and it appeals Mm -hmm. to the lower formulas if you have runoff areas that are grass or gravel or are a wall 
ultimately that's a very expensive track to race at because if one of your drivers makes a mistake, that mistake usually results in a very expensive repair to the car. So all of the series that have traditionally funded and helped drive this track forward, they depend and they rely on this low cost racing formula, which is these huge expansive concrete runoff areas. My dream would be you get rid of them, you grass it, you put in sand traps, you do something to kind of give the look and feel of, of Imola. That's never going to be an option here. Ultimately, this track's bread and butter is the lower formulas. It's club racing. They depend on those concrete runoff areas to keep costs down. I would love to see changes. I just, I don't necessarily see them making significant changes for an event that happens once a year and may not be here after another couple of years. I think one of the things that we've discovered over the years is that hosting a race can be fleeting and as fast as you secure a race is as fast as it disappears. And we were in India for about five minutes and in Korea for about five minutes and we went to <laughs> we went to Turkey and we were gone and then we're back and then we're gone again. And Paul Ricard's hosted track events in the past and then all of a sudden another track organizer will put up big hosting fees. So I think sometimes there's a reluctance to invest heavily in new track configurations. The other challenge too is because this track hosts so many other races, does that new track configuration appeal to those other events and those other series? So it's a complicated question, but I think what we discovered this ra- or this weekend is the current configuration can be exciting if there's more parity. And maybe really the reason our perception of this track as a Formula One uh, kind of arena has been kind of ruined is because of what we've seen out of Mercedes the last couple of years when we have been here, simply because the Mercedes dominance was so strong. That's true. But you know, the, we, we have seen uh, changes at other tracks. I mean, uh, I was just uh, mentioning just now that uh, they have made some changes to uh, the uh, Albert Park uh, track in uh, in Melbourne. We'll see that in uh, November and how that uh, works out. I mean, the difference there is, I mean, that track is used once a year. Once a year. Once it's, a year. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's used uh, just for Formula One. And then uh, the other 364 days of the year, it's uh, part of the uh, you know public road system there. But I mean, go back uh, you know, a couple of months, uh, we go back to Barcelona. They did change those corners. What was it? Uh, turns nine and ten. Basically, reset the track to what it uh, used to be. And then look at another circuit. Look at Silverstone. Look at how Silverstone has changed literally over the decades. I mean, the Silverstone that was uh, basically uh, where they started racing after World War II, and then how it's evolved through the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, and the eighties. I mean, that track is very, very different now to what it was even ten or fifteen years uh, years ago. I mean, with uh, some of the different corners uh, through there as well. So, I mean, it does have happen and sorry go ahead you want to jump no, in I, I was just going to say too that while we're talking about a kind of a drastic reconfiguration of the track they did do some work on this track for this season so they did yep. reprofile okay. a couple of the corners so it was nothing drastic but it was maybe enough to to kind of help create a more compelling product but you're right absolutely there is absolutely examples of tracks that have been reconfigured i could just as easily list off the ones that i would love to see reworked obviously abu dhabi and sochi and some of the other tracks but paul ricard did and i'm just kind of pulling up some of the data here from the fia um circuit when underwent extensive resurfacing and reprofiling as a program in the hope of aiding racing at this year's french grand prix the changes cover 70 percent of the track six kilometer length and all 15 of the corners except the high speed right hander um blah 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 so it looks like they did without completely reconfiguring the track they did reprofile a number of the corners and resurface the surface which is probably one of the reasons why we saw so much tire degradation this weekend but it looks like Mm -hmm. they are keen on making some smaller changes that wouldn't compromise racing for the other series that call this track home 
Cool. Hey, Mark, uh, we're, we're starting to get uh, down to the last uh, couple of minutes that we have uh, together this evening. Did you have or did you not have something for, for MotoGP Corner? I, I know you, you were texting me today. I, I wasn't sure when you wanted to, you know, to, to throw this one out there. Oh, I'm so happy. We, you got, we, we got time. Do we have the jingle? Can you put in the jingle? Because this, this whole segment is worthless if we don't have the MotoGP signal or uh, jingle. Well, I don't have the the, the jingo uh, jingo actually uh, ready, but okay. uh, I'm just going to assume it, it's playing by the time the podcast hits the internet. So this is very. I, I've I've got the applause going in the background instead. There's so, applause. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that. So this is super, 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 super exciting. So like I've talked about on this podcast before, the better part of the last decade in MotoGP has been dominated by a single racer. His name is Mark Marquez. He's a Spanish driver. He entered Formula One in 2013, and he has basically won every championship since then except for 2015. He has been unstoppable. He didn't win last year because he suffered a major bone break early in the season. Uh, his team, the, the Honda team, decided to bring him back early, basically the next race weekend, aggravated the issue. He was basically gone for a year. He came back this year, and I think a lot of people were skeptical. One, what's the bike going to look like? So he's riding a factory Honda bike. What is the bike going to look like? How is he recovered? Is he going to have the psychological wherewithal to sustain a complete complete MotoGP season. His first couple of races this year were okay. He scored a seventh in Portugal. He was in the points in Spain. He had three consecutive retirements in France, Italy, and Catalonia. He goes into the German Grand Prix this weekend and he wins. He comes from behind. He puts in an exceptional performance and he won. And I shouldn't be excited about this. This is a guy who won the title in 2013 and 14 and 16 and 17 and 18 and 19. He's won a ton of Grand Prix, but it was exciting because this is a guy that has really been the backbone as a marketing machine and really as that transcendent star that the sport needs as uh, Valentino Rossi's career starts to fade away. But it was great to see him back today taking a win hopefully he'll be able to uh, continue this momentum in the back half of the MotoGP calendar but it was excellent to see Mark Marquez winning a race and taking Team Honda to glory so I was very 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 excited to see that but that is MotoGP corner for today Awesome. And I did get confirmation from Andrew at the end there that it was uh, Lewis's first stop was a 2.20. Max was a 2.2, sorry, 2.32 second at the beginning or their their first uh, pit stop. So yeah, I don't know where I got the 2.5 from, but uh, yeah, it was a great outlap uh, by my, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all good. Uh, it was it was interesting because I just, uh, I came out of those pit stops thinking, ah, oh, Red Bull did it again. It wasn't a, like a world record, but it was uh, just enough. But uh, yeah, it is, it is just uh, one of those uh, stark, um, you know, reminders again, just like uh, how important tenths of seconds are in uh, in Formula One, and how it really uh, came down uh, at the end of the day to making a, a big, big difference. Anyways, that's awesome. Uh, you know, that's that's all I've got uh, for for tonight. I mean, uh, you oh, you've got one I, I more. Got, thing. I got a couple of other quick things I want to touch on. Okay, here, real go quick. for it. So I'll be quick because I know we want to get off here. The IndyCar race this weekend, Road America. Five of the drivers in the top 10, including, and I think everyone will know these names, Roman Grosjean, Marcus Erickson, Alexander Rossi, uh, Takumo Sato. Five racers in the top 10 at Road America today are previous Formula One drivers. So that's kind of cool. cool to see. And just a couple of other stats from this race weekend, because a couple of our listeners brought this up. All 20 of the cars finished the race today. So all 20 of the cars that were on the 
opening lap, the opening formation, the formation lap, they started on the grid. Well, I guess there was a few drivers that started from pit lane, but all the cars tonight that finished the or started the race, finished the race. This is also the, only the 10th time this has ever happened in the history of Formula One. So just understand that this is very, very rare. What's really cool about that though, is it's the sixth time that has happened in the V6 turbo hybrid era. So it's only happened 10 times in the thousand plus Grand Prix that have been raced, but it's the sixth time this has happened since 2014, which really speaks to the increased reliability mm -hmm. of the cars that we're seeing. So we talk about them being super complex, hybrid this, hybrid that, wing that, DRS that, bloobity blabbly bloop, all this kind of technical jargon. The cars have never been more reliable for the drivers. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, just a couple of points that I, I wanted to share because I thought they were thought they were kind of interesting. And like we said last week, uh, it was really cool to see that Roman Grosjean's enjoying some success in Indy. Marcus Erickson is enjoying some success in Indy. And of course, we are going to see Kevin Magnussen. He made his debut in Indy today. Wasn't a great debut, but I'm sure we'll see him in the top 10 soon as well. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, you know, it's, it's cool to see, uh, you know, some of these uh, former Formula One drivers uh, having success uh, elsewhere. One uh, disappointing thing for, for Grosjean was that uh, this was supposed to be the weekend that he was going to get uh, that test of the Mercedes at uh, Paul Ricard. Yeah, I mean, it didn't uh, didn't work out. I sure hope that uh, that they honor it. I'm sure that they will. I mean, uh, uh, otherwise, that uh, that accident at Secure last year will be his last uh, time in a Formula One car. And I mean, I don't doubt Toto's integrity or his intentions. I think that once uh, things work out uh, and I think it was basically down to like the, the whole travel and quarantine self-isolation thing it, it was something like that it seems to me it was like pandemic related so I sure hope that it works out that uh, that Roman is able to to get into that Mercedes and, and get that test and I think it would just uh, it would be a nice uh, ending to that story for him for sure I totally agree I and you and I talked about this so much when that that race weekend happened we talked about the fact that I just hope, and I think we both agreed, like, I just hope that's not his last experience in a Formula One car is climbing out of yeah. that Haas when it's on fire. Let him, let him have a really great final memory in a Formula One car. And I think it's really great that he's gone on to have some success over in India as well. It is kind of unique to Formula One, this kind of, this kind of story, right? Which is, you know what? Yeah. He, he, he scored some podiums early in his career. He was a, he was a good racer. Unfortunately, at the end, he was paired with a really underfunded and, and poor team, but it's kind of like if you translate this over to major league sports this would be taking somebody like charles barkley who never won an nba championship and as he was retiring said hey you know what go and uh, go enjoy the chicago bulls for a practice go and run with the bulls like it's <laughs> it's really peculiar and really unique to f1 but i thought it was a really great gesture by toto and the mercedes team to say hey come on over uh put in a couple laps in our car to get a sense of uh, what it could have been like but uh yeah very very cool story and i was really sad to see but hopefully we'll uh, see that happen before the end of the season yeah, I hope so. Hey, well, Mark, you know, that's all I got to, for tonight, other than to remind everybody to grab your Lederhosen, grab your Bierstein, get ready for some Oompa music. We're going to Austria figuratively for a couple of weeks. So uh, looking forward to that. Next we'll be back weeks, in baby. next two Triple weeks. Header. Yes, it should be great. Ever been to Austria? No, I'm sure I'm sure you oh. have, which is where the store is going. I have. Is it good? Yeah, no. Oh, it's a beautiful country. It's an awesome country. I, I went there for a, a ski vacation a number, number of years ago. Want to go back uh, one of these days. Uh, I mean, I only scratched the surface in a, in a week. Love to go to Vienna and a lot of these uh, other beautiful places in Austria. So, you know, if you're going to actually be there or if you're in Austria right now, I'm very 
very, very jealous. But uh, on that note, we will uh, sign off. One more shout off. out. One more, One more shout, shout out. out. You, okay, go for you're it. You're going to kill me. <laughs> Thank you to everyone for all your Twitter support. It's been fantastic. If you don't follow us on Twitter, please do. I think we're building a fantastic community. We're regularly doing yep. Spaces chats. And finally, and I never, ever, ever, ever ask for help. If you enjoyed this show, do us one big solid. If you can give us a review on iTunes or whatever your podcast platform is of choice, give us a four-star review, a five-star review, whatever you think is fair. We super, super, super appreciate it. And we cannot thank you enough for all of your support and hope to see you on Twitter soon. Thank you so much. I'm turning off my mic so you can end this podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go and have some T-Roller spec. So, uh, you know, I'm clearly thinking with my stomach now. And on that note, time to get off the air. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. We'll be back on Thursday. Take care, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.